It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm, here with good news and even better news. The good news? State Farm has new lower car insurance rates. The even better news? That means you can now get the service and convenience of a local State Farm agent at surprisingly great rates. State Farm can help you save more cash and get the good neighbor service you deserve. Just talk to your local State Farm agent or visit statefarm.com to find out how much you can save on your car insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You are locked on Warriors, daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. The Warriors got a nice 113-103 win over the Charlotte Hornets, the last game of the road trip. So when all was said and done, they ended up with one loss out of the four games, which is totally fine. I talked before the road trip about how I thought 3-1 and one or 4-0 would be a, a really nice success. They ended up getting 3-1 and one after the loss to the Miami Heat. And the defining stretch of this game was in the fourth quarter during that closing kick, which has been an issue for the Warriors before the last couple of games. Even though they did lose against Miami, they did a nice job in crunch time because they were just behind by so much. And the Warriors went to Draymond at center with five minutes and 52 seconds left. And in that last stretch after Kevin Durant hit free throws before they went to Draymond at center, the Warriors outscored the Hornets 20 to 9. They were 7 of 11 from the field, 4 of 4 from the line, did not turn the ball over, and went on a big run. And the big point to me there was beyond not getting in their own way was that the Draymond at center lineups create so many problems for opponents because there is not an effective counter. At the beginning of the run, the Hornets tried to use Spencer Hawes at center because they didn't have Cody Zeller. Zeller's probably would be in their best five against the Draymond at center lineup, but Cody Zeller did not play in this game. They tried him. That didn't work. Then they tried out Marco Bellinelli. That didn't work either, also because Marco Bellinelli can't really defend and there isn't a place to hide him in that lineup. So that put the Hornets in a really tough spot. When they went small with Marvin Williams at center, they had no rim protection. They couldn't really make it work there. And most teams can't find a solution. They don't have Kevin Durant who can rim protect from in that lineup, the power forward spot. They don't have Draymond Green who can hit threes and defend like a center. So most teams are going to really struggle with that lineup. It's part of the reason why the Warriors should run it when they can, when they when they absolutely need to break glass in case of emergency in the regular season. Not that any of these games are that important. To know that they have a lineup that does not really have an effective counter for most teams is an amazing thing to be able to fall back on. And Stephen Curry was a big part of that run. He and actually Kevin Durant, both of them separately had eight points in that last 550, which almost equaled Charlotte, each of them separately. Charlotte had nine, Durant had eight, Curry had eight, and Curry looked more like himself. Nate Duncan and I had a little bit of a discussion about whether he looked more like 2015-16 or more like 14-15. I thought he looked more like 14-15, so the year that Curry edged, I guess, James Harden out for the MVP. Some audacious shots, but not as dominant as he was during last season, but that's a whole heck of a lot better than he was doing as a shooter early on. He also had a super ambitious three during that stretch. I want to ballpark it at like 30 feet, which was his only missed three during this time. And the Warriors looked great defensively. They were active. They were getting in passing lanes. They were forcing turnovers. They had two steals and did a great job of everything you're really looking for from that lineup. And 
Maybe the most compelling part of that whole story is that I'm using the phrase Draymond at center because not only is it not all the way back to being the death lineup, it's a couple of games against non-elite teams, but because the death lineup is more than Draymond at center, generally speaking, that is Curry, Clay Thompson, Iguodala, Durant, and Draymond Green now that Harrison Barnes is gone. And for actually a majority of that almost six minutes... Sean Livingston was in, not Clay Thompson, and the reason for that was because of another important stretch during this game where Clay Thompson being in there at the beginning of the fourth quarter helped set the tone and helped set the table for the Warriors to make a comeback because they let a good situation slip in that third quarter. Also, Charlotte was hitting a bunch of ridiculous shots. The Hornets outscored the Warriors 33-22 in that third quarter, and then that required a larger overall comeback for the Warriors in the fourth quarter. They ended up outscoring Charlotte by 15, which is more than the 11 that they they did in that last minute. So they cut the margin a little bit earlier through a more traditional second second unit type situation. And that group played really well. Clay was a huge part of that. And Kevin Durant got and deserves an immense amount of credit for his ability to get to the line late. He got six free throws in the fourth quarter, helped get the Warriors into the bonus, which is an accomplishment considering Charlotte does not foul very much. It is a part of their key fundamentals, which makes them such a a dangerous defensive team. They always get back in transition and they always get good defensive possessions without fouling. It is a little different now that they don't have Cody Zeller for this game, but getting them into the bonus early, I think it was 6-10 where they got into the bonus, opened up a lot of other opportunities, a few different looks in that middle section became free throws that would not have been free throws otherwise, and also got Charlotte out of sorts to a degree. And so Durant gets a lot of attention because he had six big free throws, was dominant during an early definitive stretch of the fourth quarter. Clay Thompson ended the fourth quarter with more free throw attempts than Durant. He had seven, Durant had six. He got drew a couple shooting fouls earlier in the quarter and was huge. Clay then, because he had shouldered that burden, because he had been a big part of it, he had to sit at some point. So he sat and I for the life of me, don't exactly know, and Coach Kerr was not asked about it after the game, if he needed to sit as long as he did. Clay only played seven and a half minutes out of the 12 in the fourth quarter, and he did not play the entire third. So I don't know if he was a little bit tired, if it was maybe a situation where there wasn't a stoppage at the right time, but Livingston did a really nice job. Livingston did worked well in that role, fought hard defensively, and didn't take any shots during the his part of that six-minute stretch, but worked hard defensively, got it, got a nice rebound, distributed the ball, and did everything that they needed him on that spot. And you don't need a ton of offense from everyone else if Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry are going crazy, which they were. And so it was a team effort, and it was a reminder of just how good this Warriors team can be when they're when they're all in line, when they're working all together. Reminded me at a lot of moments like the Miami game, except since it was a smaller deficit and since it was, you know, they played a little bit better, they were able to come back earlier and get the lead and then extend it. I mean, if that Miami game had been an extra minute or two longer, I think the Warriors would have won it. They just couldn't make it back in time. And I thought there was a really interesting quote from Coach Kerr after the game, not specifically about this topic, this issue, but on the related question of 
how the Warriors can and should reconcile the fact that they're, you know, that they have these lulls and they have these circumstances, but then also have hot stretches. So the question was not completely uh, audible. I think it was just the nature of when you're doing it at a road game, sometimes it's in a place without good acoustics and the person who's recording is generally focusing on Kerr's side of it. So I am doing the rare thing of not including the question, but that's because I I didn't think it was audible enough to to fit in with the broadcast. And it, but basically it was, can this team flip a switch? And I thought Kerr's answer was fascinating. Uh, You'd like to, to think you could just, you know, bring all out intensity for 48 minutes for 82 games a year. And it just, it doesn't really work that way. You know, human nature and and uh, just the uh, the grueling nature of the NBA schedule. Um, I think what I'm most interested in is uh, when we don't have that level of energy, can we execute? Can we not turn the ball over? Can we not give up easy easy points? Um, and that means just being solid defensively, um, and that and that allows uh, allows for a stretch like what we had in the fourth quarter, where you know you can you can tread water for a little while and then turn it on with a spurt. Um, so it's mainly about uh, you know not making mistakes, not not turning it over, not giving up layups, and keeping yourself in it, uh, giving yourself that that uh, that time to make that spurt when you can. In effect, what Kerr is saying there is a very pragmatic, honest way of thinking about this Warriors team. And my interpretation of it is that he understands there will be lulls. There will be moments when the team isn't doing well defensively. Sometimes they lack offensive execution, but that they need to focus even in those moments at not digging too deep a hole for themselves because the Warriors can come back. They were able to come back in this game from having a shaky third quarter defensively, though a lot of that was also Charlotte hitting just a ton of shots. And if they don't make as many turnovers, if they hustle and transition defense, if they take advantage of turnovers that are forced, then they can keep it, let's say, flat. If they keep it flat or around there, maybe a small deficit, they can ride the waves that come and take those crests and the plus tens, the plus eights, and one or one, maybe even two of those are enough to win most games. And I think that is a great way of of conceiving of this team in the regular season. They won't be able to do that in the playoffs because opponents will press those advantages, but also the Warriors will be playing their starters more. So theoretically, there will be less of those lulls, though some of the Warriors' biggest ones during this season have been with the starters on the floor, like in the third quarter of this game that wasn't entirely starters versus starters, but a lot of it was. So I am intrigued to see how that works out moving forward, but the clarity and the honesty that Coach Kerr used in that is significant because it's a healthy way of approaching this game and approaching this. And the next point I wanted to talk about was something that legitimately surprised me, which is how they used the bench in this game. So if you remember, the Warriors didn't play yesterday. This was closer to a normal rest game for them because Iguodala sat and because they don't have a game until Saturday when they face the Clippers. And uh, it's hard to call it a big game considering Chris Paul is out. Blake Griffin will be back. But Ian Clark did not play. JaVale McGee did not play in the in the first half. And so that meant a lot more on Patrick McCaw and a lot more on James Michael McAdoo. The reason McAdoo played and played so much, he actually played 20 minutes and 19 seconds in this game, was because Coach Kerr still does not trust JaVale McGee against stretch bigs. 
And that makes some sense because McGee struggles in those circumstances. Sometimes he gets baited on pump fakes. He gets out of his comfort zone and it takes away a a lot of what he does defensively that he does well. And they don't really have a counter to that. I I would actually consider in some of those lineups, seeing if you can put him on the four, if it's somebody that doesn't really have a good jump shot and seeing if that can work just because offensively he's so useful. But, and because you want to see if he can actually do it because some of the best teams in the league play stretch guys at backup center, Cleveland being the most obvious when If you don't trust JaVale McGee against Cleveland's backups, you're leaving yourself with David West, probably not Zaza Pachulia, and then Draymond Green. And that's not as much. So I would like to see them test it out, or even if if they're really uncomfortable seeing what they have in Damian Jones at some point. But McGee, you know, it's not really a strength for him. So maybe you don't run that calculus the same way. And also, I like McGee better against slower fives because he can beat them down the floor, he can out-hustle them, and he can generally take advantage of his length and get a little bit of separation. They can hit him with an alley-oop if it's a little bit of a faster stretch five, which is not necessarily what the Hornets have because Spencer Hawes is not fast. He's very, very slow. It's a little bit different. But I get where Kerr is coming from. And McAdoo is a coaching staff favorite. He tries really hard. He is not nearly as skilled as a lot of the other players on the team, but he can fill that role when the time comes. He had seven rebounds in this game. He was plus seven in those 20 minutes. I don't attribute a lot of that to him being awesome, especially because he can be such a non-factor at the rim. And the Warriors don't necessarily need that from him, depending on what their complementary lineups are. But I don't think he's the best solution. He's a stopgap, but I would like to see the Warriors press a little bit harder to see if any of their other players can be a solution. But with David West out, it is a little bit harder to find that person, especially if it's him. So that's okay. Patrick McCaw getting the minutes instead of Ian Clark was a little bit surprising just because it was all or nothing. It wasn't a circumstance where they each got a little bit of shine and and you saw who did what. McCaw played 12 minutes. Ian Clark did not play at all. And McCaw looked solid but unspectacular. He works better to me as a moderately high usage guy and not just being a cog in the machine. Kind of the anti-Harrison Barnes in that way. Like Barnes was at his best on the Warriors when he was working hard on defense and then on offense he was only seen and heard when he had an open look from the corner and that wasn't to say that he wasn't working hard or anything like that it's just a better reflection of it and you let the other guys do their thing McCaw can function as a cog his ball handling isn't bad his judgment isn't bad but he doesn't shine in those moments and defensively he still needs to figure a lot of stuff out so intuitively to me Ian Clark can do some some things there that McCaw cannot but he looked fine I'm, I'm not being overly critical of it McCaw's a rookie still figuring out so much of what's going on in this league and was not so bad that I I think that he should lose that role I think you still try both of them you see what works see what they're comfortable with challenge each one of them putting them in situations also that are not their best one. You want to try them in their optimal. You want to try them below that as well to see how they can react to it. And also to I pinpoint exactly, this is what Ian Clark does well. This is what Patrick Mercado does well. And I also would lean towards an idea against some opponents, unless they want to try Clark guarding ones, which I personally support, of maybe pairing McCaw a little bit more 
with Stephen Curry and then pairing Ian Clark with Sean Livingston and some of that second unit if Clay is unavailable. And Clay Thompson, in especially in that fourth quarter, is an incredibly useful part of that second fourth quarter lineup when they sw- made the swap from Durant to Draymond Green. Clay can execute defensively. It's another spot position of strength. He's versatile and he can just hit a ton of open shots. And in that second quarter, Clay was basically getting unlimited looks with that second unit. He took seven shots in that quarter, despite only playing seven minutes and 22 seconds. So he got not only the most shots on the Warriors during that stretch, he got almost as many shots as the rest. Of, he got as many as the rest of the starters combined in that quarter. It's a backup heavy quarter, but that's still insane just in terms of shot distribution, not in a bad way. Hey, if they're open and a couple of the shots that Clay missed, he could have made, but that might be the regular season solution here is to actually tie Draymond and Clay together a little bit more and then tie Curry and Durant a little bit more. And it doesn't have to be rigid, like hockey subs or even just line changes, but that is is maybe a way to do it. And then what, what that opens up the door for is when you pull clay at the beginning of or in, in the middle of the second and the and the, actually sorry the beginning of the first and the third because you have to have him ready for the start of the second and the fourth is to use patrick mccaw there instead of ian clark because while i want ian clark to be clay light the defensive difference is is a little bit present and when curry and durant are playing together you want a low usage guy and if clark is ideally high efficiency, low usage, that works fine. But if he's going to kind of be a little bit more aggressive, it's not as necessary. And McCaw could be more versatile defensively. He's still a little bit weak, but I I trust him to a degree in that role. So still lots of time to figure it out, to see what they, what they need. And it was encouraging to see Kerr go to JaVale McGee in that third quarter, despite not playing him in the first half when they needed an energy burst. And McGee did well enough in that role. They, they stem the bleeding a little bit. It still wasn't the best stretch of the game, but they need to be open to figuring all of this stuff out. And also the Warriors survived when a lot of the Hornets players, not Kemba, Kemba was 9 of 23, but a lot of the other Hornets players were more efficient than they usually are. Nikola Batum, MKG, MKG was 7 of 12 and most of his shots were jumpers. That's not something that happens very often. Nikola Batum scored 8 points in that third quarter and was, was huge. Kemba had 12 in that third quarter. So surviving and winning a game against those players when they're doing a good job is a much more positive sign than winning the game when a lot of players are having off nights. And some of those plays, you know, were were the Warriors just messing up a little bit. Kemba got open a couple times because Curry lost him. But beating a team, a good team, the Hornets are going to make the playoffs barring them just falling apart. Beating a good team on the road when they're having a better game is is more indicative of the Warriors' worthiness of their current station and their versatility and viability as one of the best teams in the league. We don't need much more of a sales pitch on that. The Warriors are really good. Everybody knows they're really good, but it is another reminder. And that gets me to a very small point, but will be my last point of the podcast, which is that through a weird quirk, I just happened to look this up. And right now, the Cleveland Cavaliers 
have 14 losses on the year, and the Toronto Raptors, who are the second team in the East, have 18 losses. That is where they are right now, a little over halfway through the season. 538, based on the information that they have, both how the teams have played, what their point differential is, and all that. And I'm not saying they are definitively right or they are definitively wrong. It's just an interesting point. So Cavs, 14 losses right now. Raptors at 18 losses right now. 538 projects the Warriors to end the season with 14 losses and the Spurs to end the season with 18. So when I talk about how the Warriors aren't going to are going to have home court in the finals if they make it, that's what I mean. They're projected to have as many losses for the entire season as Cleveland has right now. After they lost again, they lost at home to the Sacramento Kings. So that does not mean the Warriors are going to make the finals. That doesn't mean the Warriors are automatically going to win if they make it, but it's a nice thing to have in your back pocket and to not have to worry about as much. And nothing is definitive. Nothing is settled. Still have have a lot of the season left to play, but that dynamic being what it is certainly could change things, especially if the Spurs take their foot off the accelerator at some point, which I expect. I mean, they're still beating teams without their best guys. They beat Toronto in Toronto without Kawhi Leonard yesterday and then, you know, or a couple days ago, and then one in Brooklyn as well. So we'll see where that all goes moving forward. But to have that kind of clarity on the finals now, considering the Warriors are defining so much of their success on how that goes, certainly should make some fans breathe easier. That's all for this episode. I am legitimately unsure if I'm going to do an episode that will come out Thursday night, Friday morning, partially because I will definitely do one on Warriors Clippers, which is a game on Saturday, and then do another one on Warriors Blazers, which is on Sunday, and partially because I have a very booked schedule for tomorrow. I'm basically going to be out of the house the entire day. So I don't anticipate that I'm going to get something. If things change, if if there's a big surprise in the all-star voting, I might do something on it, but I legitimately don't expect to. And even though Nate and I, for the Twitter NBA show, which you can listen to, it'll be released as a dunked on podcast. Both of us, I believe, actually, I know for sure I didn't. I'm trying to remember with him. I did not have Clay Thompson as one of my all-star reserves. I gave that la- the last spots to Gordon Hayward and Mike Connolly because I believe they are having better seasons and are asked to do more and are doing a good job. At that same point, I believe Clay is going to make it because the reasons that I didn't choose him are not reasons that most voters use, especially most coaches. I am not sure. I also don't think it's the biggest thing in the world if he doesn't. He is also the most logical or one of the most logical injury replacements for Chris Paul who should make the team. And I do not know if they're going to make that announcement tomorrow, if they're going to wait a little bit on that. I I don't know. So you can keep an eye on that. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com, DannyLaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X on Twitter. I read everything, respond to what I can. I did an email bag as yesterday's episode answered a lot of the questions that people have. Hopefully it answered some for you as well. And if you want to support the show, you can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. You can tell your friends, word of mouth, and also subscribe and download every episode. Even if you don't listen to it, it makes a big difference with this podcast and every other one because downloads are still a pivotal measure in how podcasts are done. And if you want to advertise with us, again, same email address. You can check check it out. It's it's a cool way to, to advertise and I can tell you exactly who you're reaching and we have a great fan base. I'm deeply appreciative every day of, of the listenership and the support that you bring. So thanks again for listening. Take care and make it a great day. San Jose Sharks hockey is back and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm JD Young.
Eric Fowle. Together, we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.